Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dirty Talk. After, After hours. hours. This is episode 130. I can't believe we've been doing this 130 weeks at least. Maybe we missed a week here or there. I can't keep track of all this stuff. We've been at this for a while. We have been. If you are listening to this on a Monday, that means that you're one of our Patreon supporters. And if you're listening to this when it comes out on Wednesday to the general public, welcome to the Dirty Talk After Hours podcast. If this is your first time listening. If it is a Monday and you're listening to this, thank you very much because you are a Patreon supporter. Which makes you awesome. It does. I also found out recently that Mondays are the most common day for people to break up and it is the most common day for somebody to commit suicide. Huh. Well, I mean, that tracks. It's just, I don't, I can't start another week. I can't be in this relationship any longer. Like, yeah, I, I could, that would make sense. So I do want to say to all who are listening to this on Wednesday, congratulations for making it through another Monday. <laughs> and welcome. I want to do a follow-up on our follow-up because last week we had our aphrodisiac follow-up episode that went out to our patrons. We were talking about how things that we consider to be very commonplace were once extremely exotic and considered to be aphrodisiacs and also things that look like genitalia tend to look like aphrodisiacs, correct? We tend to make things that are phallic or vulva-shaped. We tend to attribute aphrodisiac properties to them, yes. One very common thing that was once considered to be an aphrodisiac is the testicle fruit. I didn't bring it up last week, uh, but I wanted to bring it up now. I know you don't like testicle fruit yourself. <laughs> uh, yeah, not so much. But I know a lot of people do enjoy testicle fruit and they love putting it on their toast. Um, sure. Yeah, it takes all types. You do know what the testicle fruit is, right? Is it peanut butter? No. Wait, what do they put on their toast? Hazelnut butter? What, what do hipsters like on their toast? Avocados? Yes. Oh, I do not like the testicle <laughs> butter. No, It's not testicle I butter, don't. but it's a testicle fruit. It's, yes, I don't like the butter or the fruit. It's, no, not if, I hear it's, it's good for you, right? It's, mm -hmm. full, you know, sure, that's what they say, that testes is good for you. But yeah, I don't like the texture. The reason why I call it the testicle fruit is because the Aztecs were the ones that started eating avocados back in 500 BC. They named it ahuacatl, which in their language translates to testicle. Because if you look at them growing from the trees, they do kind of hang yeah, down. Yeah. And yeah. they are fairly similar to testicles. You can see how they would have come up with that. Yeah, I've got an avocado tree. That tracks. That's where we got the name because, of course, we bastardize all the other languages. I could barely pronounce avocado, so it would make sense that somebody's like, what, avocado? Okay. Oh, no way. Huh, that's really cool. Okay, so we couldn't pronounce it properly, and so we, it's, it is literally... A mistranslation of testicle fruit. Yes, it is literally a mistranslation of the Aztec word for testicle. 
I learned something new today and I love learning new things. That's fascinating. If it's Monday morning and you're sitting down getting ready to spread your testicle fruit on your toast, hopefully you are not thinking about killing yourself or breaking up with somebody unless you really need to because sometimes things just need to end. True, true. But think it over while you eat your testicle fruit on your toast. It's a good time to ponder for sure. Speaking of testicles. Uh, what of them? This has nothing to do with testicles whatsoever. Tinder is launching a new feature, which is sorely needed. Do you know what the new feature is? I do not. I'm not hip with the, with the Tinder. I'm sorry. I don't know. The new feature is called, Are You Sure? There has been an issue with Tinder for a long time where people, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to genderize the people who do this, but people will send inappropriate first communications with certain other people. Like I said, this no. has nothing to do with testicles. No. Oftentimes, the initial communication is poorly written or could come across as offensive in some mm. way. So Tinder has built in this new are you sure feature when somebody is texting somebody else on Tinder an AI that they have built into the program will examine the message. And before it is sent, they will have a little pop-up saying, are you sure? Basically, do you really want to send this? They've been trying it out and it seems like it has been working that the people that were using this, are you sure feature have gotten less reports. Huh? Tinder said that early testing of the AYS, of what they're calling reduced inappropriate language in messages by more than 10%. Additionally, users who saw the AYS prompt were less likely to be reported for inappropriate messages over the next month. So it works. I, I mean, I wish the numbers were higher than 10%, but that's not bad. Yeah. That's a start. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a start. And I think maybe this should be a feature in all text messages because sometimes you're just writing something out and you're like, do you want to say this? Sure. Maybe some <laughs> sort of like drunk texting filter <laughs> as well. <laughs> I was surprised to find out that back in 2014, there was a Tinder match in one of the most unlikely of places. Do you know where this Tinder match was? Was it in Antarctica? It was in Antarctica. <gasps> yes. Wait, wait, sorry. It wasn't 2014. It was 2013. The article I was reading was from 2014, but it happened in December of 2013. Somebody was at the McMardo station in Antarctica. He had been on Tinder in the States and thought as a fluke, oh, maybe I'll open it up and see if there's any matches here. He opened up the app and was looking around, expanded his radius out, and it turns out there was some other lady that was in Antarctica camping on a research project. She was about <gasps> 45 miles away, and he swiped right on her profile. She got the message, and she responded to him, and they began texting back and forth and eventually met up while in Antarctica. They did not hook up. So there has, as far as I know yet, uh, there may be a follow-up to this, but there has been no official Tinder banging happening in Antarctica. 
but this was the first incidence of an actual Tinder match in Antarctica. What about unofficial Tinder banging? I know that there's drinking that happens. They have a lot of spare time on their hands. There's maintenance crews there. The There's bands in Antarctica. People like to drink and get it on. I would propose you don't need Tinder to uh, come up with various ways to keep yourself entertained and less cold. Oh, it's true. But that wouldn't technically be Tinder banging because they weren't using the app Tinder to facilitate the sex. It was more isolation and alcohol that probably fueled that sex than anything else uh isolation and alcohol also fuels a lot of tinder sex as well i assume there's not a lot of sexting going on in antarctica yes you're right probably less than the other continents for sure speaking of sexting yes i've got one for you my friend (laughs) lay it on me Alrighty. Uh, as you are no doubt aware, we are in a brave new world. We are living in the future. And your own flesh and blood and many children are getting phones at an earlier, earlier age. And phones are just something that is, you don't even question it. Do I have on a pair of pants? Yes. Do I have on my shoes? Yes. Do I have a phone? Yes. And a bill has been proposed in Illinois that would add sexting to the sex ed curriculum. And frankly, I think that that's something that should happen in in all of the states. Well, somebody think of the children. (laughs) Kids are going to be on phones and kids are going to be communicating on phones. And I predict that it won't be long before sexting will be standard as part of every single sex ed course because so much communication happens through texting. Everybody does it. And they want to have age-appropriate discussions on the topic so that students can understand the repercussions and consequences of sexting. Because you don't want to be a young kid. You've got a camera. You're full of hormones. You're 14 and a half. You're 15. You're not thinking things through. You know, show me your butt before you know it. Things get a little, yeah. Comprehensive sex ed education that features how to effectively and safely sext is, I think, crucial. Uh, And I hope that this bill passes. But if this one doesn't, they will have to do it in the future. It's inevitable. I hope that the sexting sex ed is better than the regular sex ed that a lot of states (laughs) use is basically just don't do it. Don't sext till you're married. Right. If you don't talk about it and you don't acknowledge it and you pretend it doesn't happen, everything will be fine. Nothing could possibly go wrong. Yeah, that is a proven track record of not success. Yes. If you let God into your heart, he is the only (laughs) lover you will ever need. (laughs) Yeah. I, I do instill the knowledge in my daughter on a regular basis that anything that you do online, anything you put online, anything you send to somebody is out there forever and you have no control over what they do with it at all. So if she ever sends pictures to somebody, even if they claim they will never show them to their friends or this is between you and me. People lie. They're liars. People will lie. Once something is out there in the world, you release all control over it whatsoever. And I don't think enough young people realize that when they put things online and when they send things to each other. 
No, hopefully they're too they young. Will, yeah, hopefully they will address that in the sex ed and say, look, if you send this picture, it's going to be there. Their friends are going to see it. Their friends' friends are going to see it. It gets around. She's done it herself on her end. She, there's something exciting she wants to share. Mm-hmm. Segwaying smoothly <laughs> from sexting to pig butts. You're known for your your very on, smooth, was, slick, smooth segways. and graceful, just like a well lubricated ballerina dancer. What a transition! <laughs> That's what she said. We are now moving on to pig butts. All right, let's give me some pig butt, like, uh, like pork roast because that's also like that's called just, a that's called a pig butt the the pig's butt like, is we i use it to make clue of pork <laughs> the pigs are actually alive and it is their derriere and scientists have recently found out with the assistance of some probably unthrilled pigs that you can deprive a pig of oxygen and then introduce an oxygen-rich enema up said deprived pig's derriere, and the pig is capable of breathing through its rectum, and the pig doesn't die. So if, if, if a pig needs air, you can save the day by giving the pig an oxygen-rich enema. Now, why? You're like, okay, these scientists are bored. They've had too much time on their hand because of the pandemic. They're like, I know what we should do. We should get a bunch of pigs together and like cut off their air and then stick things up their asses. Are these the, are these the same scientists that were getting drunk or high sitting around and be like, what if we could get spinach to send an email? Like, <laughs> what if we could get a pig to breathe through its ass? Maybe, although the spinach sending the email is actually pretty genius. Why is this beneficial, this knowledge? Because pigs and humans' bodies tend to respond in much the same way, and something that can apply to a pig's body can also apply to humans. What's good for a pig's butt is good for a human's butt, is what you're saying. That is what I'm saying. Now, you might ask, why would you want to shove air up a human's butt? Well, I can think of a couple different scenarios. It's not shoving tobacco smoke up someone's butt to revive them after they've drowned. No, there are other reasons for shoving air up someone's butt. I would say that uncreative people might not be able to think of reasons why you would want to shove air in somebody's butt. <laughs> I know the show, I did, we did do that piece on Lepetto Main for our TNA podcast. He could naturally suck air into his butt, but there were other flautists that would make noises and music by farting, but they would have to use a bellows. And some of them, they were uncovered and shown to be frauds because he was oh. the only one that could actually suck it into his ass himself. But other people <laughs> would use bellows. So that is a reason why you would want to put air in somebody's butt if they wanted to be a flatulist. That is not the reason why. But uh, thank you. That was an interesting tangent. No. It is because ventilators completely shred out people's lungs. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but they are super expensive and they need a number of medical staff to manage. And they are harder to access in low-income countries that have fewer intensive care facilities. What do you do in lower-income countries or when you don't have the full medical staff or you don't have this expensive piece of machinery 
to do a ventilation on someone's lungs that actually can shred out their lungs and damage it, a much cheaper and simpler solution, maybe not elegant, but effective is they are theorizing would be to put air up someone's butt. Is it air or is it like a liquid high oxygen concentrate? They're not actually shoving air up the pig's asses. They are giving them an enema of a fluid that is a parafluorocarbon, which holds high levels of oxygen. And fluids like this are already used to help protect the lungs of premature babies. So it, they're, we're gathering they're pretty non-toxic, and this would be a new and very potentially very effective use for them. By helping people breathe through their butts. Correct. Science. How does the liquid come back out so they can pump it in there? I guess they would just have to have have to have just hold it, hold it, pig, for as long as you can. Where it wouldn't work is people that were suffering from diarrhea because it wouldn't be able to stay in before it flowed out. Uh, I mean, it's a fluid in, it's a fluid out. It's uh, better than dying, you know. I'm wondering if uh, this would lead to new diving challenges. (laughs) <laughs> where people would enema with this high oxygen fluid, they would clench their cheeks as hard as they could and then dive down, like do some deep sea diving, be like, how far and how long can I stay underwater before I release the enema and have to resurface? It is possible. I mean, they would no doubt, the deep sea diving, uh, they take that really seriously. They've got judges, they've got people in scubas going down and like examining uh, people work really, it's called a uh, packing. When you do the breathing mm-hmm. and you think that you have your lungs as fully full as you possibly can with the professionals, they do a, <laughs> and they like pack up the top. But if mm. you pack up too much, you'll make yourself pass out. So this is really fine line between you've gone as far as your lungs can go. And then you <laughs> pack a little more on top. And if you do too much, you pass out. Mm-hmm. So perhaps the secret edge is that these people would be having oxygen rich enemas just like <laughs> slid in in the side it would be a huge doping scandal yeah. and the deep sea diving sports community is like oh they've been taking the enemas mm. perhaps <laughs> perhaps it's the sad shame of the deep sea diving world possibly in the future there will be some lance armstrong style multiple testicle having people that do the secret enema pack 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 and then go break records who knows <laughs> It just really kind of reminds me of uh, the abyss when they had to breathe that liquid yeah. oxygen when they went and they did down it. in there because yeah. the air pressure when you get so low, yeah. you can't have air. It just becomes too compressed. As an actor, it's like, we, we've got a role for you and you've got to breathe water. Do, do they actually do that though? Uh, they actually did it for the role. I read a couple of interviews from the actors and it was totally real. They're like, people do it. So it was legit. Little did they know they could have just stuck the tube in their butt and they would have had the same effect. Science hadn't gotten that far. That's We bring you cutting edge science. <laughs> we had the liquid. We were just putting it in the wrong hole. <laughs> Thank you, scientists. You could put it in both holes. Double your pleasure, double your oxygen, right? I guess so. Speaking of putting it in both holes... <laughs> Okay. Uh, this isn't the whale DP that I was talking about the other week. <laughs> I did I did like the whale DP. <laughs> no. 
Uh, I have one for you. It is a masturbation break room. Have you ever been at work and been like, you know, I'm a little edgy. I'm just kind of like cranky. I do not have a pep in my step. And it, I know for a fact because I, people have told me that they will go into the bathroom and rub one out. So I've told can... you that I've gone into the – what would it be people? Yeah. Me. Me. You, more, more than just you. <laughs> more than me. Not, I've, you I've... are not the only person on this planet who has masturbated at yes. work. I'm just letting you know. And a certain employer, uh, the one and only Erica Lust, who runs an adult movie company called X Confessions, noticed – as a result of the pandemic, that her employees were less enthusiastic, did not have as much of a pep in their step, were a little unfocused. And she thought to herself, self, what could I do to increase company morale? And she came up with, can you guess what she came up with? Dress down Fridays. That's good for morale. Suicide but... free Mondays. <laughs> That's even better for morale. Um, no, it was not either of those. She created a masturbation break room where it is a dedicated space where during the course of the day, if uh, someone needs a pep in their step and to, you know, take the edge off and get a little more focus, they are welcome to go to the break room and take care of business. And according to Kat, who is the head of communications and content at the company, a masturbation break at work can result in more focus from your employees, less aggression, more productivity, and better teamwork, which is quite a pitch. I wonder if it's going to catch on and like multiple companies are going to have masturbation break rooms. It's also a lawsuit just waiting to happen. Well, I Ted, mean, you're looking a little run down right now. I've noticed you're not performing at your best. Why don't you take a break and go rub one out real quick? Check back <laughs> in with me, and, and then we'll we'll look at these TPS reports. I, it might not transition to every place of work. Uh, it is true that it probably helps that it is a porn company, but it is nice of her to be that committed to company morale. Hopefully the people clean up after themselves fairly well. I don't know what an official dedicated master. I mean, are there towels? Like, are there like buckets? Isn't there, that what there, the like, restroom tissues? is for? I've always just right. gone to the restroom. Right. There are plenty of unofficial <laughs> masturbation restrooms. Where there's and plenty of unofficial made... masturbation spaces, which I have used right. not in public. <laughs> there's plenty of spaces. Just so we're clear. Anything uh, could be a dedicated masturbation space. If, if you, have if the you want it, yes. Correct. It's as long as you're not making your masturbation breaks anyone else's problem. Yes. Mm -hmm. I have one better for you. How? What do you got? Surprise me. Well, mm -hmm. one better than than having a dedicated masturbation station at work. Yes, I'm listening. You were getting paid to masturbate at work. Yes, it's wonderful. I loved it. I so it's the best. Yes, I I have indeed gotten paid to masturbate at work and uh i recommend it it's a lot of fun so they didn't need a dedicated like masturbation break room you're like rain you've been masturbating for a while on camera i think you look a little tense i think you need to take a little <laughs> break go into the masturbation room and just rub a little on out all right sometimes at work 
uh, when in between work, I would take a break by going to masturbate. <laughs> in between masturbating yes. on the camera. Yeah. Like, oh, I, just, I just really need to just take a relaxing break, yeah. stop masturbating for a little bit, and just go masturbate. Right, right. Correct. This That did happen <laughs> multiple times. You have to really be dedicated, and I am. So, you know, I, A game, my friend. Oh, yeah, you know, they're, they're paying me to do this, so I got to stay on top of my game. <laughs> I'm not going to half-ass well, it for him. They say that the secret to happiness is to get paid to do what you love. It's so true. I'm I'm a very happy person. Speaking of someone who got paid to do what he loved, mm-hmm. last week I brought up the book by Roald Dahl in which he goes around and drugs well-to-do gentlemen so they can harvest their semen and sell it in their sperm bank. Yes. I just found out that there is another incredibly famous author whose very early novel is a werewolf mystery slash pulp novel thing. A a werewolf novel? It's a werewolf mystery novel written in 1930. So there's a little hint. Who do you think? Extremely well-known author wrote a werewolf mystery novel in 1930, but was never published. It's still in existence today, but it's locked in a vault and his estate is refusing to publish it. Uh, I would either say Jack London or John Steinbeck. John Steinbeck. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. He wrote a book back in 1930 called Murder at Full Moon. He okay. was early in his career. It never got published. Because nobody knew who Steinbeck was. <laughs> he couldn't get it published. He tried even publishing it under a pen name, but nobody wanted to touch it. And it's still sitting in the vaults. People have been begging to see what a John Steinbeck werewolf mystery story would be. But his estate saying, nope, nope, sorry. We're just going to honor his request and not have it published. Even though he did had to try to get it published at some point. But it was maybe with time passed, he was like, never mind. This is a gigantic piece of shit. I shall subject no one to. He did destroy a number of other manuscripts. There's uh, some other full novels that he wrote and later on in life decided he just wanted to destroy him. It was his early work before he became famous for his high literature. Hmm. I definitely want to read a Steinbeck werewolf mystery book. Maybe one day the estate will relent and you will get your desire granted. Hopefully, hopefully. Here's to hoping. And with that, I have shot my load of interesting and perplexing information that I have discovered this week. Unless you have anything else, I say we call it an episode. Sounds good to me. And thank you so much for sharing the testicle fruit. You are welcome. It's one more reason why I guess you cannot like avocados you like testicles you just don't like the fruit of the testicle (laughs) the texture's all off yeah that's what she said (laughs) okay and on that thank you all for joining us we hope that your ear holes are packed full of knowledge and interesting tidbits and we will catch you all next week yeah give these uh, fine people a jaunty salute cocked and loaded it is ready to go let me shoot my load as it were here we are right at you are you ready i'm ready, ready? here it comes oh right here. in the eye god damn it <laughs>
<laughs> we will catch you all next week. Bye, folks. Bye.